The Psalms are man's words to God that have become God's words to man. They give us a language to pray through any experience. The goal in this series is to learn more of the language of prayer to help us tell our story to God when we pray. So we're beginning a new series, um, and uh, the title of the series on the front of your bulletin guide uh, is Psalms, a Language of Prayer. So um, why, why look at this? Why look at the, the Psalms as a language of prayer? Well, sometimes you've heard people maybe use this expression, you know, I have a prayer language. Well, so do we. Everyone does, actually. It's called the Book of Psalms. It is a great, uh, great body of poems and and songs that express prayers to God. And so the goal in this series is that we would develop a more concrete language to tell our story to God. That God's word, uh, the Psalms is God's word to us, but it, it first was man's word to God, and then it became God's word back to us. The Spirit of Christ was involved in that, obviously. And so we have these these songs, these poems, these prayers written so that we can express the deepest struggles that we have, the emotions that we have, the doubts, the fears, the angst, the, the anger, whatever it may be. The Psalms help us express our emotions in a constructive way. Now, I don't know what kind of family you grew up in, but most of us grow up either in a loud family or a quiet family. And that's where we learn our behaviors on expressing our emotions. Amen. So, I grew up in a loud family. And so there was a lot of this, right? You know what this is? Some of you know, this is when you're loud talking, right? Because about 70% of, of, of our communication skills is body language. And so, you know, we're, 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 our emotions are coming out. You know, I, you know, my brother would punch me. I'd punch him, you know, I'd trip my sister, whatever, like, and so, you know, there was always that fight Sunday morning and coming, to, so there was this loud kind of expression of emotion, and what typically follows that are apologies, at least, you know, dad would, my dad would make me kiss my brother on the cheek when we would make up, and that was like the number one reason I didn't want to fight with my brother, because he had cooties, and I didn't want to, so, I mean, you know, uh, so sometimes our emotions and families can overtake us. And when they overtake us, they become destructive. You know, that what, what follows that becomes harmful. The other extreme is a family that grows up in silence. You, you grow up silently and you don't express anything. Like everybody's calm. And there's this expression in that type of family. We don't talk about that. Right? We don't talk about that. And so uh, that's not of God. That's not what God would have. God wants us to communicate through our problems and through our difficulties. And a family is a great place to begin those kinds of teachings. And so uh, what happens in a quiet family is a lot of things are swept under the, the rug and they don't get expressed. And there's, there's an opportunity for intimacy in the, in the family relationship that never comes about because people don't know how to communicate. So the Psalms gives us the jargon, the words, the, 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 the concrete way to express what is going on inside of us in a good way, in a helpful way. So 
shoving it under the rug or letting it just spew out are two extremes that are not helpful. So the Psalms allow us to learn how to, how to pray what we're going through. There are 150 of them. And they give us the language to pray through the full spe- spectrum of human experience so that our feelings are not overtaking us and they're not buried. This is what we're trying to do in this series through the Psalms is learn how to communicate what's going on inside of us to God, to tell our story to God by using the stories found in the Psalms. Now, why is that important? Well, it's important for that reason, but for another reason. One of the problems among humanity, it just doesn't exist in the church, it's among humanity, are the skills to develop good, healthy relationships. And so what I firmly believe is, as we are able to communicate with specificity, that word, uh, when we're able to communicate to God what's going on inside of us, guess what happens? We'll be able to communicate that to the people nearest to us who need to hear that. Or, or, or we help them communicate what's going on inside of them. Like we're helping them talk about the stuff they're going through. And we learn that by looking at the Psalms. We learn at the honesty and the transparency and the and, and just the, you know, just the, the grit and the, and the realness of the human experience, like getting angry and getting sad and, and being full of joy and, and then you know, like questions and, and wondering, you know, like all of that is found there. So on your bulletin guide, these aren't going to, the front of this is not going to change much except for where the dates are, are the days, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all but Saturday, those Psalms are going to change throughout this series and so what i'm asking you to do is is you read this weekly prayer guide paragraph and i'm I'm not going to read it right now but uh there are psalms that you read one in the morning and one in the evening and there are four questions you ask about each one of these psalms and so the first question you ask is what's this poem about what's is poetry right so if you're like me when you read poetry you got to read it like a couple times i was i mean i was not a good poem writer and I remember that in fifth grade, you know, mine sounded a lot of uh, just a kind of a spinoff cheat copy of Jack and Jill, you know. So anyway, I wasn't good at that. But so some of you may be really good at this. But uh, then what is felt? What's the emotion? What's the experience? What's this person going through? And then the next question that you're asked of that psalm is, what is the request here? What are they asking God? What what are they asking of themselves, maybe, or their uh, people that are around, and then what's declared? What's to say about God? What's to say about the human experience? And so, what you're going to do is just you're going to get good at this over this throughout this series. You're going to incorporate this in your daily prayer life. You're going to read the Psalm. You're going to read it a couple times. You're going to look at these questions, and then you're actually going to use part of that Psalm or that entire Psalm in your prayer to God. And if you do this, your prayers will go. Has anybody ever had this problem that your prayers fall into a rut? Like they get kind of almost predictable. Right. So, so my wife says yes. So there's one honest person going to heaven today. Some of you are nodding your head. All right. Anyway, I'm just joking. So the point is that this will help us grow our prayer language, to grow our conversation with God, and in turn, it will grow our conversation with others. And so today we're looking at Psalms 3. 
It's a prayer of David. It's a poem of David. It's an expression of a fearful experience in his life to God. And it will help us deal with our fears in life. Now, a little bit of background before we read Psalms 3 is David is going through one of the most traumatic experiences in his life. And, and what's happened is one of his sons, Absalom, has raised 12,000 foot soldiers and they are chasing him through the hillsides around Jerusalem trying to kill him. That's, what's, that's what the background of this prayer is. So this is a very difficult moment in David's life. Now we're going to read the psalm with that in mind and we're, we're going to take away some things that I think will help all of us with the fearful experiences that we have in life. Psalms 3, beginning in verse 1. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord, and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Arise, Lord, deliver me, my God. Strike my enemies on the jaw. Break the teeth of the wicked. From the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. Now, this is God's word. This is his revelation to us today. And there's a lot that we can just like incorporate in our prayer, especially in those moments that we're having like some really tough experiences and we're worried, we're fearful about the future. So David is, a, David is working through his fear, as I already mentioned. Uh, the, the background for this psalm, so that's what you're going to have to do sometimes. When you read the psalm and you're like, what's going on here? You'll find a footnote in your Bible that you'll click on or you'll, you'll go back, you'll look at the bottom, and you'll go back and you'll find uh, what the background is here. And so we find the background of this psalm uh, in Second Samuel, beginning in chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, that's when this story plays out of Absalom, David's son, raising up a coup against his father to dethrone him and kill him, all right? Now, <clears throat> the problem in David's life is that, well, David thinks he's all that. He thinks the world's all about him for a while. And one day when he should be at his job, which is leading his army against uh, the Philistines, he's at home. And he walks out on his balcony, and there's this hot babe on her rooftop, naked, taking a bath. And he says, I want her. The problem is, she's married. Actually, David's married too. But uh, what he does is he conspires a plot to kill Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And so he's guilty of adultery, and he's a conspiracy in murder. And so that begins the unraveling of his integrity. But it gets worse. David has multiple wives. And so what happens is one of his sons, his name is Amnon. Amnon falls in love with his half-sister, a daughter, uh, a daughter of David from another wife. And so what uh, Amnon, his lust just rages for this girl, and, and he rapes her. Now her full brother, uh, Tamar was her name, her full brother is Absalom. Absalom is like, he wants justice. His sister's been raped. David hears about this, and it, all the scriptures say is David became very sad. David did not take any action against his son Amnon. 
He was a father who did no discipline. He was a father who did not bring a charge against his son and let the consequences fall as they may. He did nothing. And Absalom became furious that nothing was done by his father. And he says, well, if he's not going to be king, I am. And so he begins to uh, make himself available to the people and put down his dad. And he begins to raise popular support among the people and raise up an army to take over his dad's throne. And so that's that's what happens in this. Now, uh, in in this scripture, we, we find out that that David is being pursued by Am, uh, by Absalom's army. And so this prayer begins about David telling about telling God what he's afraid of. He, he's simply saying, God, look, this is the message translation. Uh, my enemies are past counting. They're spreading like mushrooms, right? I mean, that, that's pretty crazy, right? And, and, and they keep roaring in mockery. Ha! No help for him from God. And so, so they're assailing him in two ways. So here's what's so cool about David's prayer. David recognizes two levels of fear going on in, his, in, in him, right? So the first level of fear is there's people trying to kill him, 12,000 of him. They're poking around in bushes with spears or looking in caves with torches. They're, they're, they're you know, they don't, I guess I don't think they had dogs back then tracking him. But if they did, they were tracking him. And like, this is a big deal. Like David is running for his life. So that's one fear, an outside fear. But they're also uh, assailing his character. They're saying God's not with him anymore. God's not watching over him anymore. And if you know David's story, that's a key part to his life. David is a shepherd boy. He's about 14, 15 years old. When the prophet Samuel comes to anoint the new king of Israel, the first king of Israel was Saul. Saul is, is disobeyed God, and he's on his way out. So Samuel, the priest, goes to find the new king of Israel that the, the Lord God is leading him to. He comes to Jesse's house. Jesse is David's father. When he arrives there, Jesse brings out all his big, brave sons, and, 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 uh, and Samuel says, it's none of these, it's someone else. Says, Do you have any other sons? He says, well, I got this one runt of a guy out in the field watching my sheep. You want him? Yeah, bring him in. And Samuel says, well, that's the guy. That's the guy. And so David, right off the beginning, as a teenager, he recognizes God's presence is with him in a very big way. It's not long after that, he kills a, a giant named Goliath, right, with a, with a slingshot. And the only way that happened is because God was with him, and he didn't wear any armor. He just carried a slingshot into battle. So David knows that God is with him throughout his life. He becomes king. I mean, amazing victories. And then the people begin to say, his people, his subjects of his kingdom begin to say, David's no longer, uh, God's no longer with David. He's abandoned him. Look, Absalom's going to be our new king. And so this, this attacks a deep part of David's identity, right? Because they're saying, God's not with me. Now, I don't know about you, but that's probably one of the scariest things you could ever tell me, that God's not with me. I mean, you want to find, find the worst horror story, the worst slasher movie of all time is the movie when somebody is absent of the presence of God. That's, that's the most dangerous experience any human could ever have. To be absent from the Lord's presence, right? So, what David is identifying here is the first emotion that all of us experience. Fear. 
every one of us, every human being, the first emotion all of us have is fear, and it happens the day you're born. Because for nine months or however long you were there, you're getting fed every day, you're warm and cuddly, there's no bright light, you can sleep in if you want to, right? You're just kind of floating around, kind of like on a waterbed, but it's all around you. And then somebody (laughs) pushes you out or cuts you out, and there's bright lights, and there's some loud man or woman beating you on the butt, (laughs) sucking things out of your nose and throat, cutting something off of you, like... Washing you off all this goo that was so comfy in there. And, and, and birth is a traumatic experience for every child. It's a primal emotion. Like, it's one of the very first things that we experience. And so the Psalms begin to deal with this very interesting emotion of fear. Back in the late 60s, there was a philosopher that became rather famous for uh, making the word anxiety a household word. And this guy's name is Rollo May. And so what Rollo May did in his studies was that he identified there are multiple levels of fear. And there's two big ones. There's, there's the fear of something coming against you, and there's the fear inside of you. Okay? And so he says it like this. If you're walking across a highway and you see a car speeding towards you, your heart beats faster. You focus your eyes on the distance between the car and you, and how far you have to go to get to the safe side of the road, and hurry, and you hurry across. You felt fear. You ran, right? And, and, and after the cars have sped by, you may be aware of a slight faintness or feeling of hollowness in the pit of your stomach. This is anxiety. Anxiety is what we feel when our existence as selves is threatened. When your identity is threatened. David expresses both fears 12,000 foot soldiers trying to kill me and my identity as God being present with me is now they're saying he's no longer with me inside and outside fear isn't it interesting that Rollo May in the 60s caught up to the Bible I always find it when science catches up to the Bible I always celebrate because finally science is catching up to the brilliance and the majesty of the Bible that is so light years ahead of our current scientific endeavors but it's there, you know, and it's cool when they catch up. And I celebrate the fact that they caught up finally. But anyway, this, this type of fear is threatening uh, David's identity. And that's the big one. Like the soldiers, like he's been in battle before. But they're saying God's not with him. And, and that's spooky. And so uh, note what David prays next. He says, but you, God, shield me on all sides. Now, a shield, right? Why do you put on a shield? Because there's something dangerous that you're walking towards, right? It's, it's arrows, or it's hot lava being poured off a castle wall, or it's rocks being dropped, or, you know, it's uh, somebody jumping at you with a sword, right? That's why you wear a shield. And here's the interesting things about shields. Shields don't work in retreat. <laughs> if the shield's on your arm, you're going into battle. But when you turn around, the shield is doing nothing. Shields don't work in retreat. They don't work in reverse. And so shields don't get you away from danger. They take you through danger. And so what David is recognizing here is the Lord is like a force field around him. Now, some people sign up for the Jesus team 
thinking that, it's going to keep bad things from happening to them. Let me just save you the time or anyone who might be listening or watching time, become an atheist now because God never promises that. He does not promise that. Here's the thing. God's role in our life is not, is, is not to keep bad things from happening to us, but rather to shield, to be our shield as we follow him through the worst of all circumstances. That's God's role. So if people become a Christian because they think bad things are going to stop happening in their life, you're going to be greatly disappointed. As a matter of fact, lots of times when you sign up to Jesus, the enemy takes note of that and he throws more at you. Right? So to be a Christian is to be the bravest soul that lives. To, to not be a Christian is to be a scaredy cat. Right? Because you're going to hide in the shadows. Like. So anyway, what I'm saying is like, he, it, it takes courage to follow Jesus. And Jesus says, look, bad things are going to happen to you, but I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to be a shield all around you. So David has been in battle before, and he's seen horrible things happen. But, but it's interesting in this Psalm 3, what David recognizes is that God has never been closer to him. Shield all around me. I mean, that's an expression of the closeness of God. And so... Here's another truth that I've realized in my own life and hearing the stories of others. When you are suffering the worst of all life circumstances, expect, anticipate God to be closer than ever before. When you're high on the mountaintop and life is up and to the right, you don't need God as much as when you're in the valley and you're threatened on all sides. And so David is saying, God surrounds me. Next. He's, he, he, he finds his glory in God. He says, my glory, which the Hebrew word is kavod, which simply means heavy, and the lifter of my head, right? So uh, this, this David at one time was a humble shepherd. He rose to the most important, powerful man in the world. You hear me? The most important, powerful man in the world. His head swelled. Rather than go and do his job, he began to watch this girl take a, take, a, take a bath on a rooftop. And so he commits this sin. And the reason he committed that sin was he found his glory in himself. That he was king. Look at me. Look at what I've done. Right? Look, it's all about me. Right? And that's where, that's where he got into trouble. And so in this prayer, he recognizes now... That his glory is found in the Lord God, in Yahweh. And so, here's the interesting thing. God, certainly, we recognize that God, God receives glory. We say glory to God in the highest, you know, and, and those types of expressions. But man can also assume glory. And we read in First Chronicles 29, 28, about David at his death. They write about him, the, the guy that wrote the Chronicles. He says, he died at a good age, full of riches and glory. Huh? So David had kavod. He he was heavy, you know. Back in the day, some of y'all going back going back in time, man. We used to say, "Dude, that's heavy," right? Anybody say that? Anybody? Can I get a witness? Nobody. All right. Well, we used to say it, and that meant, man, that was really cool, or that was really amazing. Like, man, dude, that's heavy. And so anyway, some of you go out today and go, "Dude, that was heavy." All right. So uh, kavod. Use the word kavod and really wow your neighbors. You know, that, that was kavod. What? You say commode? No, commode, commode, right? So anyway, <laughs> so anyway, 
uh, David recognizes it's not about him. It never was about him. It's about the Lord God. And so in David's past, his glory was found in his bravery of battle. Not anymore. He's hiding in a cave. Once David's glory was his family, not anymore. Absalom has taken over all his wives into his harem. He's been robbed of everything. Once his glory was a nation building. But this king's not on a throne. He's crawled back in some cave somewhere. Once David found his significance in him alone. And now he's like, not about me i find my glory in god alone until we can say i find my identity in jesus christ and what he says about me we're always going to struggle with our identity we're going to struggle with questions because you know what's going to happen we're going to find our identity our our self-worth in like what we can do or how beautiful we are or who walks with us or who we hang out with or what's in our wallet or what's you know our, our achievements And then that gets stripped from us. But here's one thing that can't be stripped from any believer. And that's the presence and the glory of God. And David recognizes that. And so, uh, Absalom. A little bit about him and his glory. So, Absalom was the most handsome man on the planet. All right? Absalom was this, this sturdy, stout, glorious-looking man who had long hair. And his glory was actually in his hair. As a matter of fact, once a year, they would cut Absalom's hair, and it weighed five pounds. I guess they sold it in the market. I don't know. Hey, who's going to get Absalom's five-pound hair today? We are. So anyway, his glory was in how beautiful he looked. But here's what happens. As he's galloping through the woods, his hair, Absalom's hair, at the end of the story, gets caught in a tree. And he's swinging from the tree with his hair caught in the limbs. And he's defenseless. And so he gets run through by a spear by one of David's uh, old teammates. And so so here's what happens. Absalom's glory becomes his demise. Tell me what you're most proud of in life. And if you don't say it's your relationship with Jesus, expect that to be taken from you. He's telling you. Tell me what you're most excited about in life. And if it's not your relationship with the Lord God, expect that to be taken from you. I'm serious. Until we can center in on Jesus, we are missing the mark every time. And when we can see Him as our identity and that He has blessed us with intelligence, with skills, with wealth, with opportunity, with whatever... That we're not going to get it right. We're always going to be sad, frustrated, miserable, whatever, until we can get centered in on this fact that Jesus is our glory, right? I know that's tough to hear, but this is what this psalm is saying. I know you lift my head, which is an expression of you will lift me up, right? This old 60s song, I don't know why I'm going back in my past. Hold your head high. Remember that one? Yeah, some of you do. All right, well, anyway, God is the one who raises us up. And so we're not going to talk about ourselves. We're going to talk about the Lord. 
And when it's time for us to be elevated to some, for some reason, God will do that. He'll take care of that, you know? All right, so, so anyway, he has this great confidence in his prayer. And the reason he has this confidence is he's looking towards the holy hill. He says in Psalms 4, 3, 4, I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. What does that mean? Jerusalem is a hill. No matter how you go into Jerusalem, you walk up. All right, it's a uphill on all sides. At least it was in that day. Now, at the center of Jerusalem is the brazen altar. There's a tabernacle during this period. There's no temple yet. There's a tabernacle that's been brought there. The Ark of the Covenant's in there. There's a brazen altar where they're offering sacrifices every day. The fire of the sacrifice never went out if they're doing what they're supposed to. And so David looks towards the holy hill of Jerusalem and he sees sacrificial smoke, a place of worship and a place of offering for atoning for the sins of the people of Israel, which he is one. And he looks to the holy hill and he goes, I have messed up. I've made the world about me. I've made my glory about me. I was a terrible dad when I should have spanked my kids. I didn't. I mean, I didn't do any of that. And, and, and now I get it. I get it. I have sinned. But I look to the holy hill and here's what I see. A sacrifice for me. And so David's looking to the cross, we're looking back at the cross, and we're saying a sacrifice has been made for our sins. So some of you have made some terrible mistakes, just like me. Terrible errors of judgment. Just selfish decisions that have brought destruction in your life. Here's what you need to know. There's a cross that atones for every ounce of your transgression. Look to his sacrifice. Don't let your fear overwhelm you. You haven't committed a sin that's greater than God's grace. I guarantee it. And so it's so important that that we see the substitutionary death of Jesus covers our sin and puts us in a right relationship with God. And because of this, David can sleep. That's what he says. So they're hunting for me outside the cave, but but I I went to sleep. I don't know about you. But if somebody's walking around, you know, red sight, laser on a gun, and they, you know, they've got night vision, and like they're looking for me, I don't know how I could just like kind of lay down and go to sleep, but David does. David falls asleep. He says, I woke again, the Lord sustained me. I, I went to sleep, I woke up, I was alive. And I, will be not, I won't be afraid, even though thousands of people who've set themselves against me, they're all around, I'm not going to be afraid. Because I've worked through my fear, I've worked through that. I put my, my, my hope in, in, in the Lord and, and what he's going to do. No matter what happens, he's on my side. And so David, here's the important thing. Hear me now. You have to release your expectations of whatever solution God's going God's to bring about. Because when you pray, sometimes you're praying for God to do this. And God's like, you're not getting it. You haven't quite figured that out yet. I will take care of it, but God says, I will take care of it. In my time, in my way, I will bring a solution to this problem. But it may not come in your timetable. It may not come in the way you expect. It's going to come. I, and so you have to release the expectation of whatever solution Uh, you're praying for yet let god be specific ask him what you want like david might say i just i want to live 
or I, well, we're going to find out what he talks about. But, but you, can, you can ask that of the Lord, but, but, but recognize he's the one bringing about the solution. All right? So he turns over his expectations to the Lord. And because of that, he's not fearing like, oh, is, am I going to get that back? Is this going to happen? Oh, oh, no, he lets that go. And he goes like, whatever, whatever the Lord. See, so our expectations can trap us in fear. And, and, and then he says, in the last part, he says, Arise, O Lord, save me, my God, for you strike my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Look at that. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Like, he's the problem solver. Your blessings be on your people. A couple things here we want to note. David, like the other apostles here, like Jesus, he, he, he's maturing. He's maturing in his faith in God, that God's going to bring about a, a deliverance here. But he's also expressing, remember me talking at the very beginning? He's expressing his anger. Break the teeth of my enemies. I mean, that's not lovey-dovey language. Have you got that? Like when you're praying for someone's jaw to be ripped off by a blow, I mean, that's a big deal. You should get angry at the injustices that are taking place. The injustice in David's life is Absalom is all about him. Absalom is going to ruin the kingdom of God. He's going to make it all about him. He's going to impoverish the people because it's all about him. And David doesn't want to see this injustice happen. He knows Absalom is not God's man. And so this is the injustice that David is working through. But we have injustices. Abortion is murder. It's an injustice. It's the American genocide. We've outdone Hitler. We've outdone Pol Pot. And we've outdone Stalin with the abortion clinics that are funded by our tax dollars. It is wrong. And I pray to the Lord, this deep emotion of anger, break the teeth of the wicked. But I'm not going to let that emotion overtake me. I'm not going to go kill somebody. And I'm also not going to sit on the sidelines and go, well, everybody's got an opinion. You know, oh, it's just, you know, that's no abortion is murder and it should stop. Any injustice to those who can't defend themselves should stop. It's with the living as well. It's with with the rich. Take advantage of the poor. It's when drug companies create drugs to addict people and then make pro that's wrong. That's injustice. That should stop. Break the teeth of the wicked, Lord. You can say whatever you're feeling inside. And that way, and some of you think I'm mad. I'm not really mad. I'm trying to illustrate to you that if you don't get mad at injustice, something you need. What kind of human is a human who doesn't get upset when people who can't defend themselves are being murdered or taken advantage of? Like, what, what kind of human are we? Right? So anyway, what I'm saying is, you, by expressing your emotions to God in prayer, they're not going to overtake you. You're not going to walk away from this prayer so mad you're going to hurt somebody. You've turned it over to the Lord. Whatever He, whatever he brings about, right? Whatever, whatever He... But I want the Lord to know I'm mad about this injustice. And I want Him to do something about it. And if he's going to use me in some way, like educate people to the problem or whatever. So, I, so this is what I'm saying. Like, this is why the, the, the Psalms are prayer language. It's prayer language. It's, it's to help us get out what's inside. So it doesn't, it doesn't ruin us. And it doesn't ruin someone else. You know? And so, anyway, 
I, I hope you're tracking with me on this. Anyway, David, he recognizes that the Lord loves him and that he loves the Lord. And, and we know that this is found in the New Testament. 1 John 4 to 18 says that perfect love drives out fear. So he's, he's scared at first, but he works through that because he has this love for God and love for people. And I'm going to tell you one more thing. You cannot work through your fear on your own. It is impossible. I'm just telling you. What we have to do is come into a loving community of people. We have to come into a group of people who will be honest with us and help us walk through that fear. And then we're able to communicate to them and they're able to communicate back to us. And you might hear expressions like this. Me too. I've been there. I don't understand what you're going through, but I'm not going to abandon you. I'll pray with you. I'll walk with you. you know, and so there's, this, there's this, this community that David is hoping to be part of once again, the people of the Lord. And it's not about him. It's not about his, not about his throne. Whatever works out on that, it, that's the Lord. But he wants justice to be done for the people of God. And so if you're fearing something right now, some outcome of situation, identify that to the Lord. Confess that to the Lord. Be specific. Use Psalm 3 to help you talk about your story to God. Relocate your glory. Put your eyes back on the Lord. Ask Him to be exalted in whatever you're going through, right? And then look at the cross. Because a lot of the problems that we have in life is because of our own poor choices. So some guilt and some shame is still following you around. Lay it at the cross. Your sin is no greater than his sacrifice. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this opportunity. Pray uh, to pray this Psalm 3 in a sermon, really, essentially. Just to walk through it and identify some of the key components of this prayer that help me. And so, Lord, I've been using this prayer this week in my own life, and I just pray that all of us would continue to grow in our prayer language. And, Lord, sometimes I'm, I'm distressed. Sometimes we're all distressed about a certain situation. Sometimes we're so angry at how someone has ripped us off or abused us or taken advantage, and we just, we're just so mad inside. Because what's happened, Lord, we turn, that, we turn that frustration over to you. And whatever justice you bring about will come on your time. So we get it, Lord. We get it. David had to wait. There were consequences to his choices. But you raised him back up again. And you never abandoned him. Even though he committed some of the worst sins that we could think of. And so, Lord, I just thank you that there's this transparency in this, in this man, in this, this man, David. He's in the line of Messiah, so that gives me hope that I could be part of the family of God. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to be real, not just with you, but with one another. Because somehow, Lord, we got to get beyond talking about the weather or who won the race. we got to start talking about our walk with Jesus. And so this will help us. Help us, Father. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.